All right, <clears throat> let's say a word of prayer. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Pray be pleased. This in the show, the word says that uh, heaven and the highest heavens can't contain you. You created it all. Nothing we build impresses you. A humble and contrite and teachable heart is what impresses you. So draw near today. I pray that in this room there'd be hearts that want to hear from you. And you could use me because we're depending on your spirit and we're looking to your word. I uh, pray this yeah, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Um, I'm surprised we didn't pray, play Good, Good Father. What's up with that, Tech Man? Good, Good Father. Maybe we can tune that one up, and if we have a little time at the end, we can sing Good, Good Father, because it's wonderful to sing and meditate on what a good example of a father God is and what a paradigm God is of what a father should be. Today, as a scripture for a launch point, I am going to use Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, one of my favorites. You guys say every verse you read is one of your favorites. Yep, it is. This one is great, though. I mean, the last one last week, that one was great, too. But this one, wow. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. Maybe we should stop there. Stop reading. Don't cheat. Don't look ahead. This is all we boast in. That's what our culture does. Your education. How far did you go in school? Did you go to bachelor's? Did you go to tech college? You know, tech school? Did you get a law degree? Are you an MD? Wow. Your PhD? You got a master's degree? Oh, you get a little pay bump. You got a master's degree. Good for you. Yeah, I was in this job. Then I go into, on the television. Then I went to Southwest North South University of Connecticut Tech. And they have the bus driving around. And now I make more money. Whatever. Let not the wise man boast in his education. You think you know some stuff? That's not what you boast in. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. <laughs> okay. I have to confess to my CD group, laziness is one of my sins, and I do. Okay, and when you're sick, I mean, come on, you have an excuse to go through those, what are those shows that they have the cliffhanger that just pulls you into the next one? No, you don't. I have to always confess. Sorry, guys, I screwed up, but I was sick last week. I watched this show on Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? That guy's got just rippling, but... Yeah. And he makes you think, if you just work out hard, you can look like me. It's a foolishness. I tried. I didn't. I used to go to the gym three times a day when I was a teenager. Never looked like Arnie. No. There's a few genetic freaks in the universe that can look like that. And the rest of us, yeah, we just give our money to them. But uh, anyway, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Those are the gauges in our society of what a man is. How rich are you? How high did you attain, you know, education-wise? And might, it can be physical might, but also influence, power. Are you a CEO? No, I'm just in the mailroom. Loser, right? 
Where do you work? I work at McDonald's. Huh? I work at whatever. Some big court. Oh, that guy's a man. God says, no, that's not what makes a man. What was Jesus' job? How much clout did he have in culture? How much money did he have? How much money did the apostles have? Silver and gold have I? None. Was Peter a man? But what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. Interesting story from church history. Some pope was gloating over how much money the Roman Catholic Church had, and he was telling some well-known figure from Catholic history. I don't call them saints because we're all saints, according to the New Testament. And it would behoove Catholics to read the Bible a little more and realize such things. But this guy, well-known guy from history, the Pope said, well, I guess we can't say silver and gold have I none anymore. And this guy said, yeah, and we can't say in the name of Jesus, rise and walk anymore either. There's things that are more important than money. There's things more important than clout or physical prowess or your PhD, which stands for piled higher and deeper, right? Somebody else said you can have 33 degrees and still be frozen. So anyway, what are we supposed to boast in? Let him who boasts, boast of this. He understands and knows me. That men, this is Father's Day. This is man's day. Sorry, ladies. But this is the day where you pray that your man becomes this kind of man. Um, or, you know, or that you find this kind of man. And you develop a paradigm for what a man is. But this is what a man's supposed to boast in. Not money, power, riches, etc. That he understands and knows me. That I am the God who does. Pesed. what it says. You guys have to know at least a smidgen of Greek and Hebrew. If you want to move around in the Bible and really get the meaty stuff. Such an important word. That I'm a God who does Hesed. And then he puts some other words on there, justice and righteousness. But hesed is the main thing all through the Old Testament. You say loving kindness. Some Bibles are getting away from this idea of just generous and generousness and goodness and faithfulness they put in there. It just does not do justice to that word, the word faithfulness. Loving kindness, um, it's just always doing what is best for the people around you. He says, go and learn what this word means, Jesus says to the religious people of his day. Go learn what this word means. Um, and then he points them back to Hosea 6.6, 6, which God says, I desire hesed. I desire hesed in you. Uh, and you say, well, you're always teaching about hesed. Well, once we get it nailed down and everybody's doing it perfectly, I'll stop. But until we're, you know, we're not stumbling and bumbling around. And like Matt said, until we're at that place where we have peace and joy and we're fruitful and we're making a positive influence on everyone around us, I'm going to keep beating this drum. So God says, this is the one thing you're supposed to be boasting in that you know that I'm the God, you know me, and you know that I do hesed. And then as men, you imitate him because you're his image bearers, and then you do hesed. And so then if you jump ahead, and again, if you jump ahead in the book of Matthew to the ninth chapter, uh, I don't want to get bogged down on some scripture verses, uh, but the disciples are walking through grain fields and they're picking grain on a Sabbath and they're eating it. And the religious uptight people are, are, are condemning them. 
and saying they're breaking the religious laws. And then Jesus rebukes them. And he said, if you had known what this means, I want. And then he quotes Hosea 6, 6, which basically says that God wants hesed and not sacrifice. I don't want your religious rituals. So most people in the world think God wants us to dress a certain way and sing a certain type of songs. And we'll split churches over music styles. And you come into this place and you're like, this isn't a church. A church is supposed to have, you know, hand carved oak and stained glass. And where's that in the Bible, by the way? We made all that up. Church is supposed to have a pulpit. Where's that in the Bible? No pulpits. Uh, you know, it's we we've made it. Church is supposed to meet from, you know, 9 to 10, 1030. And the pastor's pushing it. We might put together a search committee to go look for another pastor. But 9 to 10 on Sunday, you go give your hour. Supposed to, no, God says, I don't care about all those rituals. I want you to figure out what hesed is. What is it? What is it in me? And then how do you do it? And so Jesus is rebuking the people in his day who knew the Bible the best. These are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and a lot of them had the whole extant scripture memorized. And he's saying, you guys are doing it all wrong because you don't know this word, hesed. So men on Father's Day, what are you shooting for? Are you shooting for power? I just want to build my business. I need a big business, right? Are you shooting for... Wealth. Are you shooting to be the smartest person in your field or your family? What do you boast about? Some of you guys lift weights and you like feeling like you're buff. I know that. I think most guys go through a phase and some of us go like, ah, it's not going to work. I'm going to have to go boasting something else. But all of us go through a phase like that. God's knock it off, you guys. You're missing the whole point. So this is Father's Day. And there's a bunch of things that I want to talk to you about. But most importantly, I want to talk to you again about my favorite subject in the universe, which is God. And then the most practical thing in the universe, which is learning to be like him. Most of us are crazy. The God in our head is more devil than God. Huh, I can't believe you said that. That's the devil's gig. That's what he does. He sabotages. Everybody believes in God. Um, the popular culture and education makes it sound like there's all these atheists, these swarms of atheists out there. I dare you to go into a coffee shop sometime and go from table to table to table and ask people if they believe in God. Virtually everybody believes in God, some vision of God, some, some idea of God. It's just most of them have been sabotaged. And so literally your vision of God is more devil than God. He's harsh, he's cruel, he's demanding, he doesn't forgive, he's got limitations, he's, he's not the God uh, that's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So God says, if you really want to be a man, and you really want to have something to boast about as a man, figure out who I am and then learn to imitate me. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of places I can go in Scripture, but I want to talk about fathers because uh, all men were created to be fathers. I don't mean father-children. Because some men can't, some men won't. But uh, interesting passage, a prophetic passage about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9. His name will be Wonderful Counselor. But it says, Everlasting Father. And then, when the disciples say, show us the Father, the ultimate Father, what does Jesus say? He who seen me has seen the Father. I am I am a manifestation of the perfect 
a father from whom all other fathers are just a fuzzy, shadowy representation of it. I am the perfect crystallization of what a father is. Jesus says that he never bore a child. But what does a man do? What does a father do? Uh, dudes, guys, you were created to do several things. You were created to guide and provide and protect. That's what you're created for. You want to feel really good about yourself? Give somebody some good counsel. Provide for somebody that needs provision, that can't do it for themselves, or stand up for somebody who's weak. You want to feel like a man? Do one of those three things, or all of them. Guide, provide. That's what you're created for. Um, and one of the great ways for us to do that and to be just a little bit more like God is we can also, some of us are given the uh, incredible benefit of creating life by finding a wife that we can guide, provide, and protect, right? Uh, but we also can create life with that person, and then we get our own little our own little group that we get to guide and provide and protect for. Uh, and so we get to fulfill that in a very intimate way. And, and so God's like, I want every one of you guys to have some really special people that you're going to love more than anybody else on earth. But even if you don't have that, Jesus was the perfect example of what guiding, providing, and protecting looks like. Why did he die on the cross? He was saving our souls. That was the most courageous act in human history. He just willingly walked into uh, the host of hell and he said, you can have me. I could vaporize you all with a wink, but I'm going to let you crucify me because they need me. That's love. But that's him protect provision. It said he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And then ultimately it says, and give his life as a sacrifice. I don't know why I'm polishing my glasses. I know why. Anyway. Um, and then guide. He's always teaching, guiding. Hey, think this way, not that way. You know why so many guys are not happy? You're pursuing power, you're pursuing wealth and you're pursuing status. And then when you get that degree, you're like, eh. well, maybe it's the master's degree, and you get that one. Uh, maybe it's the PhD. Maybe it's the professorship. Now, maybe it's an elite school. Maybe it's a European school. And no matter where you get to as a man, when it's all about you, it's like, ah, oh, that didn't do it. Or the money. I could just make a million dollars. Who in the world do you know that's happy that was that that pursuing money? Who is that? Howard Hughes. How much is enough? One more dollar, and he's out of his mind. He's got fingernails like you know bird claws, and he's long hair. He's crazy man, um, trying to get wealth and then power. It was fascinating, even watching. <laughs> I'm, I won't. I won't do the Arnie voice. That's that's what I would do in college, but um. He was never happy, never satisfied. You're never big enough, buff enough, ripped enough, praised enough. Because that's not what being a man is. Everybody's doing it wrong. You want to be a man? Sheesh. 
I had the privilege this week, and I hope some of you guys, a lot of you guys are getting in on this. I had the privilege this week of, of leading someone to Christ. And this guy was in despair, suicidal, thought he'd failed everybody, thought his world was just at an end. And I told him all about Jesus and salvation, and he could be forgiven. I said, your problem is not that you're a failure and your family's rejecting you and, you know, he, all these issues. <clears throat> your problem is you're not at peace with God. I just laid out the gospel. You're a sinner. That's your problem. And you deserve death because you're a failure and you're a loser and you've hurt a, a gazillion people and you've left a trail of wreckage and you can't stand before a holy God and you're condemned. But God loves you and he died on the cross so you could be forgiven and he rose from the dead. And, and I said, I don't know why it works or how it works. It just does because it's true. And this guy went from the depths of despair to he couldn't stop smiling. And leading somebody out of darkness. Uh, I would assume I'm going to become this guy's friend. They happen to be a video chat. He's on the other side of the planet. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go to Africa maybe in September or something. Hopefully, we'll maybe we'll have a lifetime friendship, right? But you want to have joy, go help somebody. I mean, go spend a day with some orphans in some developing country that don't have enough food and love them and smile at them and touch them in the, you know, and say, you're special, you're loved. God has a great plan for your life. Do that for an entire day. And you will experience a euphoria like you never knew you could experience. Keep scratching and clawing after riches and power and credentials. And you're just going it, to like eating cotton candy. When you're a kid at the fair, you're like, I'll take a handful of that. And you put it in your mouth and you're like, what? Where'd it go? There's nothing there. Just a few little, you know, crunchy little granules in my mouth. What happened to that? That's what all this stuff we're pursuing is. So as fathers, we have an opportunity, whether we have a little family or not, to live this out. And it's not about acquiring and attaining. And in the process of being a father, you have to get degrees and you have to get jobs and you have to have influence and you get a paycheck and you get money and all those other things. But those are to serve the higher purpose of laying down your life, guiding, providing, protecting others. So I thought I'd talk about one of the super coolest fathers in the Bible. There's not many good fathers in the Bible. Who's a good father in the whole Bible? That's human only. Who's a good father? David? Eh, not so much. <laughs> Abraham? <laughs> kind of did some stupid stuff. Where are the good fathers? Joseph. That's why God picked him. To be the father of his only begotten son. Not genetically the father of, but um, when people were talking about Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter's son? He took him so into his sphere that he, for all intents and purposes, he was Joseph's son. And if you just look at Joseph's life in Matthew chapter 1, why did God entrust his only begotten son to this man? Because the birth of Christ, Jesus Christ was his father when follows when his mother this is 118 mother mary had been betrothed to joseph before they came together she was found to be with child by the holy spirit now we tend to think that the people in the bible are not like us 
they're made of something else. They're made of whatever, some other essence and some other bucket in heaven. They're not made of the same messy, dirty, smelly stuff we're made of. But the author of the Bible, uh, James even says, Elijah had a nature just like ours. Joseph had a nature just like ours. Okay, some of you guys in here planning to get married. Some of you guys are engaged. Your betrothed starts showing a baby bump. We, we got to be real here. Uh, and you say, what's going on there? It's a miracle. An angel came and said that I was highly favored and I was going to bear the Son of God. Joseph's like, oh my goodness. I mean, I thought this girl was sane. I mean, I thought she had it together upstairs. She's gone. Maybe, now let's get really real. Maybe Joseph is like, maybe she got raped and she she can't deal with it. And she's lost her mind. Or maybe she did something horrific. Morally, she had a royal face plant and she's not going to admit to it. And in the Bible, you needed two or three witnesses to condemn somebody. And it's just, she's coming up with these fantastical stories about angels. Imagine that with your betrothed. Um, a lot of people would have just got mad. Stop lying and just tell me what happened. I swear, Joseph, it was an angel. And it, you know. So what does it say Joseph did? Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her. Disgrace her? What about me? I was supposed to be your man, and now you got knocked up by somebody else, and he's thinking about her? And maybe he's thinking, well, she's obviously something's wrong. This is not a normal guy. And this word righteous is interesting in um, in uh, Jeremiah. It says, let him boast, boast, in, boast in this, that he knows me, that I'm the God who does hesed, justice and righteousness. Because hesed, when you know God's heart, you always do the right thing. So instead of, and the Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. If your God is a God who wants to bring the hammer down on people and delights in that, you don't really know God. You have a, a twisted, more... Satan sabotage vision of God because the Bible says God's slow to anger. He'd always rather forgive than judge. He will judge if a person is is persistent in their wickedness, but he wants to forgive. He wants to cover. He wants to cut people slack. So here we see Joseph saying, I'm going to cut this woman some slack. I'm going to cover for her. I'm going to give her time. I'm going to give her space. I'm not going to bring shame. I'm not going to I'm not going to make this about me. This is an exceptional guy. Amazing guy. Most of us it'd be about me. How is this reflecting on me? What are my parents going to say? What's it going to do to my reputation? You know, I have a 
I have a reputation to uphold in this community. He's thinking about her above himself, and he wants to put her away quietly. So this is an exceptional guy. But then it says, he did the right thing. He did the right, the righteous thing. It says, when he considered this, an angel appeared to him. He said, no, Joe, she's not crazy. She's not crazy. It is like she said. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That which has been conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is really fascinating. When you study the Bible, you can study it for the rest of your life, and you're always seeing these new mind-blowing things. Who is the first person to see this prophecy, um, understand its application in the person of Jesus Christ? Watch this. It says, she'll bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet 700 years prior that it might be fulfilled saying, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Who's the first person who ever made that connection? I will bet you a thousand pieces of heavenly gold because we have to pay up when we get there and ask Joseph himself. I bet it was Joseph that found that. He was the first person to make that connection. Because he said, God, this is crazy. You need to confirm this with your word. Because that's what I do. Anybody out there know what I'm talking about? God asks you to do something crazy. And you say, okay, I'm open. But you have got to speak through this book. Because if you're not going to confirm what's going on in my mind with this book, I'm not moving. That's why you got to know the book. If you don't know the book, the devil can just whip you all over the place and say, God said this and God said that. I used to work in prisons and half the dudes were in there because God told them to do something. They didn't know the book. So Joseph says, God, you got to confirm this with the book. And maybe he did like I had happen once in my life where God was speaking to me and my Bible just fell open. Boom. And I looked down and it was the passage that was in my mind. And I was like, holy cow, God's showing me that this is... Somehow, this connection was made between a virgin conceiving and Mary. And I think this is what Joseph went, oh, whoa, whoa, Isaiah said this. Alma, a Alma, a virgin is going to conceive. And the child's name is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And God said, look, I'm taking this to a way higher level than it is in that historical context here, Joseph. But I am talking to you. And this woman has this son of God in her womb take care of her protect her provide for her guide her through this process and then when that baby's born you take care of that child until he's a man and God said I know I can trust you because you know the word and you move when I talk to you and you have a heart of compassion you have a heart like mine it wasn't all about you it wasn't all about your reputation it wasn't all about what she did to you it was it yeah he made a mistake because he didn't have the insight but he still showed incredible hesed and kindness towards her, showing that he understood who God was. But then when God spoke, he confirmed it with the word. And then the rest of the narrative in chapter 2, you have some, uh, Joseph rose from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord. This is another great thing about Joseph. He knows who God is, but he obeys quickly. He obeys quickly, men. Or do you sit around, make excuses, try to get God to change his mind? I am 
the unchanging eternal, eternal God who's governing the affairs of however many billions of people there are now. Eight? On planet Earth. But yeah, maybe you have a better idea than I do. What do you got? Well, you know, what are you thinking about this situation? Um, he doesn't, when, when God speaks, he just moves. Joseph moves. So, he rose from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded, took her as his wife. Kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. Kept her a virgin until, because sex is not sinful, sex makes you married. Now, the act itself doesn't covenant with that is how you complete the whole deal. So the Catholic view that Jesus, uh, that, that Mary was a perpetual virgin, sorry, is this not true because the Bible says she was a virgin until because they became husband and wife just like everybody else on planet and planet Earth become husband and wife. Then they had other kids, and including Jesus' brother James, who became a believer after Jesus rose from the dead, et cetera, et cetera. But you've got to study your Bible. Not just listen to the grand poobah who's telling you what you have to believe. Study it out. But anyway, he did just what God said, kept her virgin until she gave birth, and then they became a normal married couple. But the little addition is, hey, you're also raising the only begotten son of God so he can die for the sins of humanity. But I put him in your care because you are, I would guess, the best man at planet on planet Earth at guiding, providing, and protecting other human beings, Joseph. You're really good at it. So I know I can trust my son to you. So then you have a, a crazy king that finds out about the baby. And then God says, Joseph, move now in a dream. Have you, this is verse 12. Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed. No, sorry, that's the Magi. Verse 13. Now when he had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream saying, Arise, take the child and flee to Egypt. Remain there. Until I tell you. So God tells him to move. He moves. He lives a life of compassion. He, he's guiding. He's providing. It's also interesting that uh, in the process of taking care of this incredible responsibility, the Magi come and give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They dump a bunch of wealth on him that enables them to take this crazy journey with Mary and Jesus to Egypt. But you also see God providing for him as he's called to provide for them. And you see the guiding and the wisdom. And then what would have happened because Joseph is so faithful, he would have followed the Old Testament regulations for how you lead your family, like Deuteronomy 6. He would have had him in the word. He would have been playing games with Jesus and singing songs with Jesus. So Jesus, as a little boy, could memorize scripture because he had to do it just like we do. Jesus didn't have an easy button. So... No, Jesus, that's not how you, it's not he go, it's he goes, you know. No, 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 Jesus, it's not blessed is the man, you know, who doesn't walk. It's blessed is the man who doesn't walk. It's Jesus, say it again, try it again. And let's sing us, let's make up a little song. And that's because, because uh, that's what it says. Hear, Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These words that I'm commanding you shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your son. So if he's your son, that's how he gets to know the word. He doesn't have an easy button and like, okay, like on the, sorry, the matrix, little, little old school here. He's laying in this chair and, uh, all right, confession time. Who's seen the matrix? Okay. He's laying in this chair and, uh, they're just downloading stuff in his brain. You know, it's like, I need to know Kung Fu. It's like, 
oh, I know Kung Fu, right? It's not like they had a Torah download that they shoved up in Jesus's baby little brain there. And he's, oh, I know the Torah in Greek and Hebrew both, you know? It's like, no, he had to learn it from dad. And the Bible says, fathers bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Why? Because dad's, you're going to get a ton of sad. It doesn't mean mom can't help and be a part of the process, but it's charged to dads. Why? Because that's part of your job as being a man and being a father. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Joseph is an amazing father. And that's why God entrusts Jesus to him. We don't really know what happened to him. Seems like he died sometime before Jesus got into his ministry years. But um, amazing. Just what this passage tells about his obedience to God, his incredibly compassionate heart, his willingness Okay, I, just like I thought Mary was crazy, everyone's going to think I'm crazy. So in John chapter 8, you have people accusing Jesus still of being born of fornication. I know these are details you'll have to track down. But all the way up into his adulthood, they say, you were born of fornication. Um, Joseph said, I'll, I'll bear the reproach if that's what you want. I'll bear the reproach. So, so we have this amazing father. Well, this is what this is what you men, you are called to do. It's called to guide, provide, protect, not get sidetracked by the tools that we're given to get things done. Yes, we get an education. We have to learn stuff. Yes, you need money in your bank account or you can't get from here to there or have a house or have a business or buy stuff to sell stuff. Um, and you're going to have influence. And some of you guys are going to have a lot of influence. You're going to have employees. Some of you are going to be teachers. Some of you are going to be pastors. You're going to have influence. But all of that serves the purpose of you serving. That's what being a father is. And Jesus was a perfect example of that because that's what he did. So there's something that I want to talk about today that has gone bonkers in our culture. I was reading C.S. Lewis, man, one of the smarter dudes alive in the last hundred years. And, uh, he went on this big quest for truth. And he, I don't know how many languages he knew, but he was looking at all the Latin literature, all the Greek literature. Uh, he knew French, he knew Italian. He's looking at all this classical literature, all the philosophies of the world. And he kept noticing that the Christians were the most sensible ones. But he didn't want to become a Christian because he thought he knew what a Christian was. He said, well, that's unfortunate that they always turn out to be Christians, but I'll just brush that aside. And then there came a time in his quest where he said, maybe there's something to Christianity. And then eventually he became a Christian himself. And he just has such an amazing way of talking about the human condition and breaking it all down. And he was talking about the problem with men today. And I'm not going to break this down exactly like he does. But. I borrowed the main strokes from him. So if you read the abolition of man in the first chapter, you'll be like, hey, he's plagiarizing. No, I'm not. But he said, he said, you can think of uh, kind of different constituent parts of a human. And we're talking specifically of men this way. We have a brain. That's where we have ideas. And you can talk about your, your heart. That's where you get your like emotional oomph behind your convictions. Um, and then you have your stomach. And that's your, those are your appetites. And uh, he basically was saying kind of a famous line. Our mind as men 
is supposed to govern our stomachs through our chest, which basically means we're supposed to train ourselves so that we have the proper emotional responses as men. We're not supposed to be selfish. We're not supposed to be taking advantage of people. We're not supposed to be rejoicing in injustice or scoring because we cheated on our tax or we ripped the person off in a business deal or, or, or took more change back than we were supposed to or overcharged. Or they did, right? We're supposed to have the right kinds of convictions, supposed to have the right kind of emotional responses to what is true and right because the universe, I hope this isn't getting beyond you guys, the universe is, is set up in a certain way and we're supposed to train ourselves to see the way it actually works and then respond to it properly and then basically tell our appetite, say, hey, shut up. You know, we're not, we're not going to sleep with that girl. I'm not going to look at anybody, right? We're not going to watch that movie because that does not correspond to the way the universe is set up. It's not going to bring about a good result. We're not going to rip that person off. Forget, we're not going to slander today. We're not going to dishonor authority because the universe isn't set up to bring about a good result. But he said, because we don't understand how the universe is set up anymore, our emotions are all bonkers, and we're just running around more like animals than human beings. And our emotional responses now correspond to our appetites, like sex. Keep my eyes above everybody here, right? Because we don't teach people what is true and right and good in the world as men. We haven't trained our emotions to respond to what's true and right and good like no sex till marriage. We're causing chaos. Where do fatherless children come from? They come from breaking the breaking down the structure of how God, God, the Bible calls it wisdom, fighting against wisdom. And instead of letting our appetites dictate laziness, gluttony, dishonesty, cruelty, all these things come from kind of our animal appetites dictating to the point where they're the things controlling our emotions, and then we go out and we do horrible, destructive things. And I was thinking over what I wanted to talk to you about today. I want to talk to the guys and say, guys, you have so much power. Every single one of you guys, you have so much power. And you're called to guide, provide, and protect, and the devil knows that. And if he can get you to follow your animal appetites with all the power that you have, you're just going to leave a trail of destruction behind you. That's what's going to happen. Some of you guys came into this world because some man was following his appetites. You don't even know where he is. And left you in his wake to try to figure out life without a North Star. Right? Well, this culture is saying, well, there is no... There is no righteous standard. There's nothing set up that we need to follow. And our emotions are just kind of these willy-nilly things that hit us for no good reason. No, your emotions are tied to something. And they're either tied to understanding the right way that the world works. And you train them so that they respond properly and you stay away from things that are going to kill you. And you train yourself to be disciplined and set or they're tied into your animal appetites, which the Bible says in Philippians, it talks about bad religion. It says their God is their stomach. It doesn't just mean food. It means all your animal appetites. Because we've not trained our brains 
to, to understand who God is, to be like God and then function like God and use our calling as men like Joseph did. Joseph knew who God was. He knew what Hesed was. He knew what righteousness was. He kept her a virgin. He didn't shack up with her because he knew they were getting married and make some lame excuse that violates the universal principles that the scripture has laid out. He understood what the principles were, and he had evidently trained himself to respond properly. So so I guess in C.S. Lewis's term, his mind ruled his stomach through his chest because he trained himself to respond properly. Does that make sense? He was a man. Our world doesn't know what a man is. Most men are leaving wreckage. And a lot of you guys are the wreckage. And Jesus threw you a line. And now he's saying, hey, stop, take a deep breath, and realize you have to learn everything over again. Starting with, it's not about money, it's not about power, it's not about your education, it's figuring out who I am. Figure out who I am and then be like me. You were created to guide, provide, and protect. You weren't created to live for you. That's why nobody's happy. You weren't created to be a sucking vortex, black hole, scratching, clawing everything to you. You're, you're created to flow. And you can't flow until you're attached to the source, who's God himself. So you, you make God, first of all, your number one thing. I want to know you. I want to know you. And then when you start to see him, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm malfunctioning. I've just been causing wreckage and mayhem and hurting people because I've been thinking it was all about me when I, I, I've been doing it all wrong. And God says, yes, and you deserve to die because you've done it so wrong. And then you repent and you say, can you possibly forgive me? And God said, yes, I can because I love you. And my son, Jesus Christ, has died for you because you deserve to die because you're such a chaotic, demonized wreck. So knock it off. Listen. Stop talking. Listen. I'll show you how the universe is set up. And if you commit to follow me, follow my son, Jesus, I'll, I'll give you my spirit so then you can learn how the universe really works. And I'll show you what Hesed is. That's my defining central attribute. And then you can, like Jesus said, go learn what this means. And then you can be like that because my Holy Spirit will teach you what it is and he'll give you the power to do it. And then you can start blessing the people around you. Of course, a lot of you will get an education. A lot of you, I would not have got, gotten an education had it not been for Jesus. Because you're like, wow, I got gifts. I better sharpen them. I learned all kinds of stuff. Because that's what following Jesus and serving other people is for me. That's what it meant. Some of you guys are going to be outrageously successful business people, but you're going to be because, wow, I got these gifts. And I could do a lot of stuff with this money that God's given me. A young guy that I used to just, you know, used to disciple years ago, and we're still friends. When I met him, he's a young man. I said, What do you want to what do you want to do? What do you want the Lord to do for you? He said, I want to create a cash cow for world missions. That's basically what he's done. So it doesn't mean God's going to make you poor and stupid and weak. It just means you're going to see those things as tools to become a father and become like your father and become like Jesus who perfectly represented the father. 
And you're also going to be given your own children. And you're going to guide, provide, protect for them. But then, I mean, it's virtually guaranteed because we have the Spirit of God in us, the supernatural ability to do way more than is humanly possible. God's going to send you other people because there's so many people out there that didn't have a good father. And they need you to teach them and they need you to guide them and they need you to train them. And you'll catch some of them in their, you know, some of you guys work for Big Brothers, Big Sisters. You'll catch some of them at eight, nine years old. You'll catch some of them in their teens. You'll catch some of them in their 20s. You'll catch some of them at 50. And they'll, they'll realize, I don't have any clue what life is about, what the world's about, who I'm supposed to be. You say, let me teach you about your father. Let me show you how he manifested in Jesus. And, that, and then you'll also see it in you too. Dude, why are you spending so much time with you? You're not getting any money out of this. I'm getting something way better than money. I'm getting satisfaction out of functioning the way I was created to function. Why are you so generous, man? I mean, you don't even make much money because that's how my God is. And if I'm generous, he's just going to keep the flow coming so I can be more generous. That's how it works. So you, you guys have this incredible power to be fathers. All of you. You have been trained wrong. Your emotional responses are wrong. You have to retrain all of your responses. And one of the things that, you know, like, why is the guy always talking about sex? Because the culture is always talking about sex. One of the ways we've been totally sabotaged in the brain is the way that we think about that. We have to get the mind of Christ in that area and fight to bring just structure and stability back into this culture and show people what that's supposed to look like. Another thing, men, <laughs> I've always like, I always think there's like this feminist brigade that's going to barge in the door and, and, and like start yelling at me. The women and the children in the, in the culture, they will respond to the standards that the men set up. The only reason that the women are acting like prostitutes right now is because the men are telling them to. If the men wanted virtue and purity, and again, I'm not trying to shame anybody because there's forgiveness, but we're all off the rails. All of us are off the rails. There's nobody. Let the innocent one throw the first stone. But if the men set up a standard for righteousness in this culture and said, why are you guys, what? Why are you watching that woman? She's like dancing around in lingerie. That's for the bedroom when you marry somebody. Shut that garbage off. But even Christians are like, oh, yeah, look at that Super Bowl halftime. <laughs> yeah. Do you believe that song? What is what she wearing? Well, not much, right? It's like when we're not appalled and we're not creating this standard and saying this is the kind of your and men, your daughters, they, they see the standards. What about sports? You men, you're, you're going to shape your children. And when they see you getting more excited, more excited about the Kansas City Chiefs than about Jesus, there's not even a question. That when, or not going to church for baseball, gymnastics, everything. So like, what's going on? I say nothing. Might as well go to church. Then God's going to be about number 57 on their priority list. So if you use your power and your influence and you let God shape your values, then you're going to shape the values of the women and the children and the culture. And the reason that the culture is off the hook right now is because men are off the hook. And the reason men are off the hook is because 
we're boasting in everything but the fact that we really understand who God is. God who revealed himself as a perfect father who guides, provides, protects perfectly, is full of mercy and compassion, always forgiving, always patient, always wants the best for everyone, but won't put up with nonsense. He's not going to he's not going to let you wink at you and say, yeah, wrong is right. Why? Because wrong destroys. The reason God hates everything that is sin is because it destroys. Everything the Bible, the devil tells you is because he's a killjoy. No, he's against things that kill us. So God, we're supposed to know God as a father. We're supposed to see him perfectly represented in Christ. And then we're supposed to replicate that in the world. And so men, you need to step up and use your power. You need to, you need to train your brains so that you understand how this universe was set up. That's called wisdom. You need to, and you need the Holy Spirit for that too. This is, it says, who among man knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man within him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we've received, not the spirit that's from the world, but the spirit from God. If you don't have the spirit of God and you can't understand how it all works, but once you get the spirit of God in you because you're forgiven and you've accepted salvation, he can start teaching you how things really work. How does marriage work? How does family work? What do I do with my bitterness? What do I do with my pain? How should I handle money? Who should I be friends with? Who should I stay away from? How should I raise my kids? What should I watch? What should I not watch? What should I listen to? God has opinions on everything because he knows what's best for us. And then as we shape our convictions and then we start to feel it, uh, our bellies aren't going to govern our decisions. But as long, right now, man, we're, we're just like a bunch of wild animals. Right now, yeah, our, our sexuality is just like running rampant through the church. They're like, well, we can't suppress these feelings, these sexual feelings, so everybody has to embrace them. No, we have to figure out what the Bible says is right, and we have to figure out how to rein those suckers in. Our minds have to govern our bellies through our hearts. We have to train. Now, there is a struggle period where you know it's right, but you've trained yourself for so long to do the wrong thing. Amen? You just can't feel it. You have trained yourself in bitterness and you just can't feel that forgiveness that needs to happen. So what do you do? Well, I guess I don't have to forgive then. No, you will it. You will it. You grit your teeth and you say, God, I don't feel it. God, I've trained my emotions to respond wrongly in this situation. Please help me to change those emotions. But whatever forgiveness means, that's what I choose. And you told me to bless my enemies. So God, I bless this enemy, this person who ruined my career. I pray that they'd find you. I pray that they would be saved. I pray that they would be blessed. I pray that they'd be whole. I pray that they'd become a fruitful child of yours. I pray your favor on their life. I pray that you don't destroy them. I don't pray lightning bolts from heaven come down. I pray blessing on them. Why? Because you told me to. I'm not feeling it right now, Lord, because I've trained my feelings all wrong. And again, we've told this story so many times, you know, like Corey Ten Boom with the with the uh, the Nazi prison guard that was responsible for the death of her sister. She didn't feel like loving her, forgiving her. She, as an act of obedience, stuck her hand out. The Nazi prison guard's like, isn't it wonderful that God throws our sins into the deepest sea? Let me know, sister, as somebody who is in a prison camp and I was a guard, that I'm forgiven. And she's like, I ain't feeling this right now. I, I'm not feeling it. And she, God just said, just do it. She put her hand out, and then the emotion, she said, hit her from the top of the head. The love of God washed through her. So 
our emotions aren't trained. And I was one of the reasons uh, something I was thinking about today is have we been asking God to change our emotions? God, my, I'm wired all wrong. I've been functioning on bad programming, self-oriented, governed largely by my appetites. What brings me comfort? Oh, go to the fridge and eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's, right? No, bad programming, right? Go watch some porn. That always seems to help, right? No, bad programming. It's, God, my programming's wrong, and it is, it is affiliated with my emotions. I need you to change it uh, and, and just praying for that. But until you do, God, surround me with people who can help me to keep doing the right thing because I don't want to be causing more chaos and brokenness in this world. I don't want any more fatherless children. I don't want any more people in despair crying themselves to sleep because I ripped them off because I run them over with a truck, metaphorically. Um, I want to leave a bless, a, a, you know, a, a wake of blessing behind me. So I hope this makes sense. Men, you're supposed to be fathers. Most of you will have kids. Maybe all of you will have kids. Some of you may not have kids. You can still be fathers. Uh, I have people tell me, I don't I don't tell people I'm your father. If someone sees me ha having a father role, that's a massive honor. One of the greatest honors you can have in life is have someone who you're not a father to tell you you function like a father to me. That's a heavy-duty thing. I put that on them if they want to say that. But I have people that say that I function as a father in their life. Um, why... Can any of us do any good in this world? Because first of all, we figure out who he is. Your vision of God is sabotaged. It is. No matter how pure and, and cleared up it is, to the day you died, no, no one's going to be crystal clear on exactly who God is. But a lot of us are way down the wrong end of things. We think God is cruel, mean, killed our mom, struck our baby with cancer, gave me the, you know, the, the, the pregnancy that went awry, whatever. We, we, accuse him it's because our vision of him is all messed up we say god no teach me who you really are clean up my vision of you and then help me to function like you do like joseph and then when you get to that place guess what he's going to give you some pretty cool responsibilities can you imagine seeing joseph in heaven joseph dude that was pretty great you took care of the son of god he's like i know right I know, right? I took care of the Son of God. That was crazy. I protected him. I taught him the first Bible study, you know, he ever had, the first verses he ever knew, right? Seriously, he will give you assignments that will blow your mind so that you can fulfill this fatherly man function you have on a, on a level that you never dreamed of. So, men... Take your responsibility seriously. That's why we study in this church. We don't come and warm a pew and let you come in and leave with the same attitude. Just everyone's great, great. Everyone's trying their hardest. Nobody's trying their hardest. Don't say that in this church. That's usually self-pity talk. I tried my best. No, you didn't. And you're not. We're all crazy. We need to get uncrazy. We need to study hard, study God's word, press into who God is. Seek me and you'll find me. We seek with all your heart. When you find him, then you can reflect him. Then you can become someone who guides, provides, and protects. Like Joseph did. More importantly, like Jesus did. And like our good, good father. Got it queued up, maybe. Okay. Well, maybe I'll shut up because we got to do a we got to do a baptism here in, in a minute. So we'll sing good, good father. Let's meditate on what a good father is. And then let's think about ourselves and say, God, make me a father like your father. 
And then uh, we're going we're gonna to have a baptism, super exciting baptism. And so I'll get up here and talk a little bit and tell you a little about uh, um, uh, the, the whole crazy situation surrounding Damiano's coming to Christ. One of the more wild tales you're going to hear, um, even though we've got a bunch of wild ones in this church. But let's just stand up and let's sing good, good father, meditate on what a father is and pray. If you're a man, let me be that guy.